Hello and welcome to the Bucket List Gamers podcast. I am Jay and I'm once again joined by Eddie. Hello. And on this episode we are looking at three games. So we're looking at two Super Mario Brothers games, namely Super Mario Brothers from 1985, which is at number 40 on the list. Uh, Super Mario Brothers 3 from 1988, which is number 11 on the list. And then completely out of left field, or so you might think, but we do have a clever way to tie it in, Alex Kidd in Miracle World. Uh, from 1986, which is number 92 in the list. So before we dive into everything, we'll address the elephant in the room, which is that we clearly can't count because last episode we said we'd gone through about 30-odd games, I think we said, 32, something like that. We've actually done 48. So (laughs) I'd not put a load on the list I was working from and also not accounted for the fact that we grouped together quite a few games as one number on the list rather than being separate numbers. So actually, yeah, we are... Today takes us over halfway in the list, which is a bit of a shock because I was surprised when we were a third of the way through last week. So being half the way through is even more surprising. But I'm not upset about it. I'm happy that we're we're getting through this and soon we'll be able to do our own thing. Although I know for a fact the day that we do entry number 100 we're not going to be able to come up with any content for the week after. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to genuinely struggle after that. And yeah, I see, I'm, I'm sort of chuffed that we've got this far this fast. However, I am, I am fully conscious that there are some bleak weeks ahead because some of the games that we have deliberately avoided are not particular favourites of either of us, really. No, I think it's going to take us less time to get through the second 50 than it has the first, I would think, because there's a lot of games on that list that are just too basic to get an hour out of, too basic to probably get 15 minutes out of in some cases. And we've sort of cherry-picked, we've tried to leave ones that we like for later, but then weeks like this, so the other thing that I need to address is if I sound incredibly stuffy, I've been full of cold all week, still not right now but I'm a lot better than I was I've, I've got a voice which I didn't have for a day or so so that's beneficial when you're recording a podcast but yeah the weeks like this we've not really had time to prepare so it was just what games do we already know quite a lot about what games do we have a bit of affection for that we can talk about so these are three that we probably would have left till a bit later to try and break up some of the the, the well I don't want to say rubbish because <laughs> we're not We've not played them, so they might be really good. I mean, Jet Set Willy surprised us. We never expected we'd rate that as highly as we did. So there's a chance that they might surprise us. But yeah, there's some games on that list you just look at it and go, I have nothing to say about this. Even if I played it, I don't think I'd have anything to say about it. And there's some games where I thought we'd tie them together to others, and I think we're going to have to give them their own episode just to pad things out a bit. <laughs> so the one that springs to mind is Lemmings. I thought we'd combine that with something, <laughs> yeah. but I, I think we're going to have to do a full episode on Lemmings just to pad things out. That is going to be a really short episode. <laughs> well, maybe we can talk about Worms, because I think Worms should be in the list, and it's it's not in any way similar to Lemmings, but there's that approximation where you controlling these small characters that have got a death wish so i suppose yeah. there's a slight con- a connection there so we we'll find a way to pad these episodes out don't worry we're not going anywhere unfortunately for you guys uh so yeah don't worry about that but that is why we're looking at mario and alex kid today because we just didn't have time to look at anything else we probably would have picked something far more obscure 
if I'd not have been so ill for the entirety of this week. So with that out of the way, we know if we do these in chronological order today, that makes Alex Kidd our 50th game. So a big milestone is Alex Kidd. So I'm wondering, because we can't really not talk about them in chronological order, because that's the only way Alex Kidd fits into this. So I think we're just going to have to bite the bullet and do that. Yeah, in my head... In my head, we'll talk about it. However, Super Mario Brothers 3 will be 50. In my head, not Alex Kidd. <laughs> if that helps you sleep at night, yeah. you just <laughs> keep thinking that. But we will start where the most obvious place to start, which is Super Mario Brothers 1985 for NES. Uh, I didn't have it at the time. I think we've we've established that nearly every game in this list I didn't have at the time. I mean, I wasn't even born when that came out, so I definitely didn't have it. But it, it was one I played a lot, but I didn't own myself ever I don't think until I probably got it on like a virtual console years and years down the line yeah I I got it on the the first time I properly played it was on the Game Boy Advance Hmm. really that that was the first proper time because they did like a sort of retro release of a load of NES and SNES games didn't they in the old slightly larger cardboard packaging that were based on the old style boxes um, and that was the first time I'd ever touched this game, which, to say how much of a classic it is, is probably a travesty on my part, but uh, yeah. I did play it when it was relevant, in air quotes, because obviously I wasn't born until a year after it came out, and I wouldn't have been playing it till I was five or six, probably. But I remember our school used to do these events where people could bring stuff in at night, and the kids would go up to the school, and it was like a, well, it wouldn't have been a quid back then, like 20p and you could play on somebody's scale trick for five minutes and it was like a like a charity thing but and somebody used to bring in nes so there was always mario and duck hunt and and you could pay like 50p and have a game of that so i probably played it there one of my friends did have an nes and i probably played it a little bit at their house i did almost end up with my own copy almost so the one of my friends who had the nes was selling it because they got a an snes and they decided they were going to sell it on this car boot that was taking place in the village. It was like uh, every so often they, again, do a little charity thing. All the money went to charity from the tables and people just went and sold their stuff. And they were selling this NES. And I'd already arranged, like, bartered a deal with their son to be like, can can I have it? And what's it come with and all this? So they were like, oh, there's 10, 10 or 12 games. There's the two controllers. There's a zapper. There's the console. It all... You can have it all for like whatever, it probably about eighty quid, which back then wasn't cheap, but it was about right for everything you got. Anyway, I I'm buzzing this day because for some reason we didn't do it before the car boot. We decided we'd do this at the car boot. God knows why. So I'm buzzing. We we go up to this field where it's taking place. My mum and dad drive me up. We go across to their stand to buy it, and I'm like, "Come on, yeah, get it, get it bought." And my mum's just about to buy it, and it turns out they'd sold like four of the games, the best games already but still wanted 80 quid for it and my mum out of principle was like no we're not doing that so I obviously just got face on straight away I was like I want it like no you're not having it because it's not what we agreed and they're trying to rip us off so I stormed back to the car probably crying at my young age and just locked myself in the car for like three hours (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just cry and I never got one that it never happened because that was my only chance to ever get one and it fell through and then I ended up I think I'd already got a Commodore 64 and I think that might have been the catalyst for me getting a Game Gear 
Right. Because I think in between that sale falling through and my parents deciding to get me something, they realised that I'd be taking over the TV with it. So they decided a handheld would be a better way forward, which didn't work out well for them because it probably cost them a mortgage worth in batteries because it through them like nobody's business and the power plug cable was notoriously loose so you'd be playing it and if you moved your hand in a certain way the whole thing would just turn off which was infuriating <laughs> uh, but yeah that that's how I almost ended up with an NES and then it all fell through and I was absolutely gutted and I'm even more gutted now because think about how much that would be worth now even without those oh, four yeah. games so I'm, I'm a little bit annoyed because it Duck Hunt hadn't gone and that was one of the ones I really wanted because it had the zapper so, yeah, bit annoying that that happened, but I suppose it all worked out in the end. But, yeah, things like that happen to me all the time. I nearly ended up with a Mega Drive at one point, and then I'd, I'd got a little tin, and I'd wrote, like, Mega Drive fund on it, and I'd been putting all my money in it for, like, weeks, probably months. And just as I got to the point where I could afford a Mega Drive, I can't remember what I spent it on, but it wasn't worth it. I was like, oh, I'm going to get this instead. I think it was, like, a Super Soaker or something. And I played with it for about two days and then it just went in the shed and I never played with it again. So yeah, that's it's happened to me a few times in my uh, my sort of console life span that I've not got the console I was just about to, to get for one reason or another. But that one wasn't my fault. Yeah, uh, but if you think about it, can you imagine if you had got the, N- N- uh, the NES instead and you hadn't got your Game Gear, your love for Sonic would probably be massively different. Yeah, yeah, it probably wouldn't be there at all because it, I would have been a Nintendo kid then and that would have pushed yeah. me on that trajectory, I suppose. But I'm trying to think what other games there were. There was Kirby, I think, which was always one of my favourites. Is it called Master Blaster or something? That where you turn into a car? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was that one, which I wasn't particularly keen on. I think that's one of the ones that sold and that's why I wasn't that good because I didn't want that one anyway. But my mum was just like, no, they're trying to rip us off. We're not having it foot down, and and that was the end of it. So yeah, it could have changed my entire my entire gaming career, as it were, if I'd have got that console. And instead, I ended up being a, a big Sonic fanboy, which in the end has been detrimental to me as well because ninety nine percent of his games after the first few are shit, and Mario's are actually decent. So yeah, it's cost me in more ways than one. That that's I might run Childline tonight. <laughs> uh. We'll see you on telly by the end of the week. <laughs> but that was my experience with uh, Mario 1, so it's a bit tarnished, but it is, it's the game, isn't it? It's the quintessential platforming game. It's the one that started it all. It's the one that launched a franchise. It's the one that saved the video game market, if you believe some people, after the crash. So, yeah, massively influential and still really fun to play now because it the graphics aren't amazing but the controls are so tight and the gameplay is just so fun that if somebody gave me 8-bit Mario I could still happily complete it. Yeah it's not as the only challenging bit with it it's not a particularly challenging game outside of Mario's jump because you can run in it can't you you can press and hold the b button and you sort of like do a slightly faster run but he he needs a long old run up to be able to get like a decent jump height and you need to press jump earlier than you think you should when you get to the edge of like um platforms and stuff like that you have to press it like a millisecond earlier 
than you think you should. Otherwise, he just sort of does like a, a sort of a graceful arc and just falls into a pit. Um, but it, it, like you say, it is so tightly designed. And credit to Shigeru Miyamoto and is it Takeshi Tezuka, the, mm. the designers and producers for it, because yeah, they've just they one saved the gaming industry, and I genuinely do believe that that is true after the massive cock up by Atari, and they sort of. The the other reason they sort of saved the gaming industry was because they called it their console uh, an entertainment system rather than a games console. So they'd called the a GES or something like that, gaming entertainment system. No, I don't think people would have bought into it because the, the word gaming was just massively tarnished by Atari. And up until fairly recently, I think it was only knocked off its high spot of sales by, was it Wii Sports? Yeah, I think so. Good. Or something like that. It, it was the greatest selling video game of all time up until you get to a like Wii Sports, which completely knocked it off its pedestal, which is just, it, it's like nearly 30 years on. I think that's skewed as well, isn't it? Because Wii Sports... Was a pack in? You couldn't even buy Wii yeah. Sports on its own, could you? No, I don't. I don't think, think so. it was even a, available. Whereas Mario, I know, was a pack in because you got that and Duck Hunt on a double cartridge, didn't you? At some point, but I don't think it always was. Uh, and you could definitely buy it on its own. So yeah, probably skewed a bit there in that it the Wii console sold more copies than it, rather than yeah. Wii Sports sold more copies of it. But yeah, massively. And, and the level of depth that's in it for a game from back then as well. You think about the, it's not all the same level with different layouts. You've got the above ground, you've got the below ground, and even though they are similar, they feel very distinct. And then you've got the levels where you're up in the air on the little mushroom platforms that feel distinct again because there's no floor. And some of the stuff they put in it, like you can smash through the ceiling and run along where the points total is at the top and then get to the warp zone at the end you'd never seen stuff like that in games really where you could normally if you wanted to cheat it was a tap-in cheat wasn't it and it brought up a menu in most games whereas this was you were breaking out of the game to to get into this warp zone and it was just fascinating to see that implemented in a game and yeah the enemy sprites are all designed quite well to say the the limitations of the system you know what a goomba is when you see it you know what a cooper is bowser looks a bit iffy if if you go back and look at him now but you still i think that's what we've said this before that's where mario games fall flat compared to the likes of sonic when you get to a boss in inverted commas they're nearly always the same until you get to the very yeah. later mario games so bowser in super mario brothers is jump over him or run under him and he's doing something a little bit different every time. So he might be firing more fireballs, or there might be a platform in the way, or he might be throwing hammers as well as fireballs. But it's essentially you run under him and hit the button, or you fire as many fireballs as you can at him until you kill him. That's it. Whereas in Sonic, you look at that, I know it came quite a bit later. Every boss in that is unique. They all do something different, and you have to do something different to kill them all. So, yeah, but I think that's probably... I'd like to say it's a limitation of the time, but it doesn't change in Mario, does it? Like right up to Super Mario World, probably all the bosses just do exactly the same thing when you fight them, just in different color palettes. Yeah, 
Yeah, definitely. And like you say, I mean, I appreciate it's it's when you get to sort of Mario Super Mario three that we'll discuss in a bit, uh, where you get like the proper iconic. Oh, that is definitely a Goomba. That is definitely a Hammer Bro sort of thing. But even the sprites for it, you get all the um, enemies that have just carried on through Mario. So you get Lakitu. Uh, originates from this Mario. You get um, Goombas, uh, Bullet Bills, uh, Bowser, and I mean, if you've ever seen the instruction manual that comes with Super Mario Brothers, he don't look great in that. So no wonder the sprite work wasn't brilliant. And stuff like uh, Coopers and things like that, and they all originated with this title and they've just carried on. None of them have been dropped out of the roster. No, that's a point, yeah. Spiny's still there. Piranha plants. Yeah, every single one. The, the piranha plants. Nothing's been removed, has it? No, it did been added to, but nothing's gone from that oh, first yeah. game. It also gave us the um, "Your princess is in another castle" meme. <laughs> this is yeah. where that originated because you get to the end of each world hub and you get you save the toad that's in that particular castle and all you get is the little message saying, sorry, Mario, your princess is in another castle. And that's where the meme originated. And it's just sort of been a perpetual gaming thing since then, really. So interesting little fact, and I think I'm getting this right because I heard it a while back. You know, at the end of the level where you kill Bowser in inverted commas, and then he turns into another enemy, and it's not him. Yeah. It's like an enemy in disguise, so a Goomba or a Blooper or something like that. That wasn't intentional at first, so they'd programmed... They were going to have different bosses, I think, for each level at the end, and they'd put Goombas and Bloopers and stuff in as placeholders, and then they just decided to go with Bowser, so they skinned Bowser over the top of them all, and then when he dies, it reverts back to whatever sprite they put in initially. And that wasn't meant to happen, but they liked it because it made it look like it was an imposter Bowser, so they left it in. Right. Oh, that's clever. I like that. Probably made that up. Hmm. But I'm sure I've heard that somewhere, and I'm sure that's why it happened. Maybe not exactly, but yeah, that I'm sure it was like a programming error that they just went, oh, that's pretty cool. We'll leave that in. Hmm. And something I didn't realise until... Um... I was doing a bit of research, but based on... Because obviously, no storyline whatsoever built into the game, really. It's all in the book, isn't it? Yeah, um, and all the blocks that you run through, headbutting and breaking, they're the original citizens of the Mushroom Kingdom. They're all like the toads and stuff like that. Bowser turns them into blocks with magic, and you go around smashing the sh** out of them and getting power-ups from them and yeah that's all in the it's all in the little um accompanying book which is horrific it's really weird yeah that's that's like the reverse of what sonic does he frees them from robots whereas yeah. mario just kills them like outright kills them i will i will add this in though there is a paper mario and i think it's paper mario sticker star yeah. and which wasn't very good and wasn't well received, but there is a sort of a side quest where you rescue paper toads and you sort of send them off to work in this factory and you then get these sort of like massive cardboard mechas about partway through the game of like massive mecha Mario and like a massive paper mecha Luigi that to fight against mecha paper Bowser. And it's almost implied that the toads are being ground down and used as paper to make these giant... So Mario's just a fucking monster, basically. That is, that is grim. Like, 
Yeah, because you you have no qualms in smashing those blocks to bits, do you? Yep. Even even the ones that don't have anything in them, just like yeah, smash that up. <laughs> but what if that is the case? What was that world made of before he started doing this? <laughs> God knows. Because a, a lot of the underground is those blocks. So like, was that just a a vast expanse before Cooper started turning everyone into blocks? Yep. What a weird story to write into the book. <laughs> Is it in the book for that, or the the real Super Mario Brothers two, where there's Cooper's brother who's a different color? I think that's Mario Brothers two. He's like a blue rather than a green, and everyone was like, "Oh, it's his brother," and and no one really acknowledged it as fact. But it's in the booklet. It says it's his twin brother, and I think Nintendo finally acknowledged it in Smash Brothers. They put a, another colorway in for Cooper that matches his brother, and and made reference to it in there. So, yeah, okay. I think it's canon that there's a second Cooper that's blue and that is his brother that just doesn't turn up very often. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's weird, isn't it, what they write into stuff, into games, and then they <laughs> yeah. just quietly forget it or they have to make it sort of canon for, forevermore. Um, speaking of, it's not in the list, but I think we have to mention Super Mario Bros. 2, both versions. Yeah. It's it's not something... Anyone who's listening to this, I suspect, already knows the story. But just to recap for anyone who doesn't, when they designed Super Mario Bros. 2, because the first one was such a big success, they started working on 2 straight away, and it came out like a year later, I think, in Japan. And Nintendo of Japan decided it was too difficult for us Westerners, and we just wouldn't be able to cope with it. And to be fair, it is a difficult game. Compared to the first one, they've really ramped the difficulty up in the second one. And they thought, oh, they're not going to be able to cope with it. We need to make them a different game. So they got, and I don't know if you know this, but Mario 2 in the West is actually Doki Doki Panic. There's, a, there's an obscure fact for you that no one ever mentions ever. So essentially just reskinned. <laughs> yeah, they took a game that existed in Japan called Doki Doki Panic and put Mario characters into it. But not all Mario characters, just four of them. Just changed the four <laughs> the four main characters to Mario characters. Didn't swap out the music, didn't swap out any of the enemies. They might have changed one of the power-ups, I can't quite remember. But I think that is literally it. So if you play Mario 2, it's so far removed from 1, 3, World, any of the others. And the reason is because it isn't a Mario game. So it controls completely separate, uh, differently. You've got four characters, so you can play as Mario, Luigi, Peach, and Toad. They all have their own little abilities, so Luigi can float, jump a little bit higher. Peach can hover with her dress, so she can go further distances. Toad, I think, is he stronger? Because you can pull things out of the ground and, and stuff yes. like that, Kaya, and I think he does it quicker than everyone else. And Mario is just a bit of an all-rounder, but bizarre game. Because there's stuff in it that obviously wasn't part of the Mario franchise, which now is, years and years later, that they've just stolen from Doki Doki Panic, and now it's Mario, and no one ever remembers the rest of it. But there's weird stuff in it, like you pull you pull vegetables out of the ground to throw at enemies to kill them. That's how you get rid of enemies, you throw them at each other or throw stuff at them. But every so often you'll pull a potion out of the ground which then opens a door and takes you into like a reverse world where everything you pull up turns into a coin and then they give you extra light. It's just so strange. And that's where you get, I mean, the list is huge, what you get from Mario 2, Western Mario 2. There's Shy Guys from Western Mario 2, Birdo, 
is a big one. Yeah. Phantos, the mask that chases you when you've got a key. That's from Mario 2. There must be ones I'm missing. Because there's like that dodo bird thing, which doesn't feature very often, but it has been in other Mario games that's from that. So yeah, there's loads of stuff from that. A lot of the music, like the really iconic Mario music, is from Doki Doki Panic. It's not even Mario music. It's just been appropriated and stolen. <laughs> uh, and then in the end of the game, which it's a spoiler, but I can't imagine anyone's clamoring to go and play it for the storyline. It turns out it was just Mario having a big dream. They went with that cop-out ending. So you finish it, then he just wakes up, and it all turns out it was in his head. So maybe he'd been playing Doki Doki Panic, I don't know, and then fell asleep and just decided he was going to be in it. But it's it was one of my favourites when I was younger, because it is so different, and I just liked the fact you could play as all four characters, and it added a bit of variation. I wasn't very good at it, because it's it's not challenging. It's not difficult. It's just weird. It's not your straightforward yeah. left to right platformer, is it? There's bits we have to go in caves and bomb walls and climb ropes, and, and the bosses are a bit strange. So Birdo's the boss in like half the levels, and it, and I will say it because there's a lot of debate as to whether it is a female or a male or both, or but I don't want to get into that. Fires eggs at you, and you have to jump on them, grab them, and throw them back. And that's your main boss. Then there's like a mouse that throws bombs at you, I think. And then there's Wart, who's the big frog, who's just made a reappearance, I think, at uh, Nintendo Land. You know, the theme park they've opened. Yeah. I think they've got a big Wart in there, because he's not really been mentioned, has he, for for decades now? No. Um, And all the stuff that you... I mean, aside from stuff like Shy Guys, uh, Birdo doesn't make massive amounts of regular appearances, really. She... it gets a uh, like a nodding acquaintance in Smash Brothers and stuff like that as like a trophy or an assist um, trophy. But then they gave Peach the ability to pull turnips out of the ground, which I'm assuming is direct reference to Mario Two. <laughs> it's bizarre, isn't it? I don't. I thought power blocks came from Mario Two, but they don't, do they? Because they were in the arcade game before yeah. even Super Mario Brothers. So they must have worked them into Doki Doki Panic as a little. Mario reference, which is a strange one because they weren't in Mario 1, so they'd gone no. really far back to grab them to bring them into lore, but then didn't think to bring like Goombas and Coopers and that kind of thing in. So yeah, very strange one that, but quite enjoyable. Um, I'm surprised it's not on the list, given that practically every other Mario game is, and it's something a little bit different, so I would have thought it would have been worth a list spot, but no. I'm assuming too weird. And then of course, Super Mario Bros. 2, the proper one we did eventually get as the Lost Levels on SNES. Yeah, in the All-Stars game. Yeah, if you did ever want to play the original Super Mario Brothers 2, that's the best way to play it. And yeah, they are very challenging, some of those levels. So I, I can half appreciate where they were coming from, but then I also don't appreciate being called incompetent gamers that they obviously thought we were. Yeah, I, I mean, I can sort of see where they were coming from. If And I mean, history obviously runs in cycles because you come back around to things like Dark Souls, which was exclusively Japanese originally um, with Demon Souls. And it took them, there was a lot of reluctance from from software to bring it over to us because they were just like, the EU and the US will not like this game. It is too hard, it is too challenging, and it is quite honestly one of the most beloved modern franchises because of how difficult it is and how challenging it is. 
because we just seem to be pandered to by like US and EU gaming companies where it's like, oh, well, we can't make it too hard for little baby. Um, it's like, <laughs> just give us a challenge with games. Don't make it. We're spending money on this. So yeah. I-, I play games to be challenged. I don't play games to be spoon fed. That's what I don't get about the Mario one, though, because with Dark Souls, Demon Souls, like you say, it was a risk because we'd not had anything like it. So it was a risk because, oh, they might not take to it. The The stereotype is that Japanese people are more disciplined and more patient and they'll persevere with it, whereas us, us Westerners that want everything now, now, now will just get too fed up with it and won't persevere. But with the Mario thing, we'd already had Mario 1 and loved it. So it wasn't a case of people weren't going to buy it if you gave them exactly the same thing but harder. You'd have still sold the same numbers. Whether it would have put people off buying Mario 3 because they struggled with Mario 2, I don't know. But I wouldn't have thought so. You like a game, you like a game, don't you? And like you say, you want to be challenged by it. And it's not... The lost levels as they are now aren't impossible. They're not really hard. They're just a little bit more tricky. I've seen much more difficult things in Mario Maker. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And people still sit and play that for hours and hours on end. So, yeah, I don't, I don't agree with that decision so much, but... It meant that we got an extra game, I suppose, because we probably would have never heard of Doki Doki Panic if that hadn't have happened. No, that's very true. And we still got to play the original Mario too, so we got an extra Mario game out of it, I suppose. That's the best way to look at it. Yeah, Mario 3. Shall we move on to that one? Now we've covered two off, even though they didn't bother. We've had a go. Yeah, go on. So, Mario 3 changes it up a little bit with the world map. I think that's the biggest change. A few more power-ups and stuff introduced as well, obviously, which we'll cover. But the biggest change is Mario 1 is level, finish level, you're into the next level, level, finish level. Whereas this one gives you a little bit of choice in what order you want to take on levels and some are optional to an extent and you can do little things on the world map as well can't you every so often so it gives you a little bit more freedom in how you want to approach the game i suppose yeah um it gives you the opportunity to completely bypass stuff um if you want to so if you find that a particular area is challenging you you can just sort of potentially loop round it and skip a level isn't it also the game that introduced the warp whistle Yes, there's three of them in there. Where you yeah. could literally skip, you could skip to the end if you wanted to, um, from the very first level if you know where to go to get the warp whistle, which seems like a cheat the game gives you, but with Super Mario Bros. 3, it is so full of Easter eggs and secrets, and unless you know where to go or what holes to drop down to find these secrets, you're never going to find them in a million years. No, the first warp whistle is you stand on a white platform and crouch for like 15 seconds and then you fall through it into the background, run past the finish and the warp whistle's in a chest back there. So sort of a homage to the first game when you get to the warp zones, I suppose, but just in a different way to bypass the ending to get to to that. I think the second one, you have to clear the a wall in Bowser's castle, you get the raccoon suit and fly over it and there's another one in there and then the third one, the third one you get a Hammer Brothers suit and you smash a rock on the map that just looks like a corner of the map, you wouldn't even think that you could do anything with it, but you smash it and it opens up a new area and I think there's a toad in there that'll give you a warp whistle so that's where the three of them are and like you say, really cryptic to find, the Bowser one's probably the easiest to find by accident, Yeah, 
because there's a good chance you might have a is it a tanuki suit or a raccoon suit in that one um they're both in it um it's just the tanuki suit can just turn you to stone for no discernible reason it's the cape i'm thinking of isn't it but it is the raccoon suit in three yeah there's a good chance you could build up enough pace with a raccoon suit to fly up over where you need to go for the second walk whistle by mistake and then be like, oh, I found a little surprise. I don't think there was many people standing on that white box and crouching for 15 seconds just as part of how they play the game. So yeah, that one's the easiest one to find. And then the Hammer Brothers one isn't as cryptic as you think because those rocks are things you can smash. It's just because it's in the top corner and there's no visible path after it, you wouldn't necessarily think to go and do it. So yeah, it's a clever one, the way they've done it. I think they might have done Mario 3 the way they have because of what happened with Mario 2, I think. So I think they've wanted to put more difficult levels in. So they've gone, well, we'll put a really difficult level here. But if people can't cope with that, they can play three really easy ones to get around it. But if they want to be challenged, they can just go straight through the difficult level and it's like a bit of a shortcut for them. Yeah, I think um, from what I was led to understand anyway, they did with Mario 3 what they did with Zelda. So originally when they designed Mario 3, they were going to have it as a top-down perspective. And then after building a couple of levels, they just went, yeah, this just is not practical at all. Um, hardware limitations and they just scrapped the idea but the um, opening credit scene um, where the there's the checkerboard floor that is some of the top down view flooring that's still visible from the original design document mm. which is just yeah because yeah there's a lot of debate about what Mario 3 is about because it's like you're playing a, a theatre set or a film or something yeah and it's not the real world because all the backgrounds are made of... The clouds are hung on ropes, aren't they? And the platforms are built up from what looks like cardboard. And the end of the level is just black with a the end level star thing in it. So I don't know if they've ever explained why that is. Was it just an art style choice? Or is there actually a reason that they've done it that way? Uh, Kazuki Takahashi actually... In, a, in an interview, uh, not Kazuki Takahashi, Shigeru Miyamoto, sorry, in an interview was answering loads of like Mario-related questions, and one of the questions was, is Mario supposed to, Mario 3 supposed to be a play? And he said, yes, it is, but didn't elaborate further. Right. He just said, yes, it is, and then moved on to the next point, and he was like, that, thanks. Well, that, one, thank <laughs> you for answering the question that's been bothering us for years. Two, you've now opened such a can of worms here that you're never going to deal with. So that's probably worse. Yeah, so that that makes sense. I, I just assumed it was an art style to to go with the changing way that they've done it. But it it's too strong of a theme, I think, for there not to be something behind yeah. it. Because they've done it with Yoshi, haven't they, recently? Was it Woolly World? or No, it was the one that was yeah. after that, wasn't it? Where it's all Oh, crafts. the Crafted World. Yeah, and you can go into the background and you can see how it's all cardboard with things stapled to it and all that kind of thing. And it sort of works and doesn't at the same time because there's no explanation as to why he's suddenly in this world that's made of... Some kids made it on his desktop. It just happens. Same with the Wooly one. Same with a load of the Kirby games where he's just randomly a ball of wool or something. they, They just have these strange ideas, don't they? They never explain any of them. But a lot of them lead to decent games, so you just let them off. Yeah. But I preferred it a bit back then when things were... I don't know. I suppose this proves that they weren't always based in 
in a normal environment because this is meant to be a play but i was thinking of like is it yoshi's island 64 where it's like a storybook but it's actual levels like they're meant to be on the island and stuff so that sort of goes between the two doesn't it you're sort of in a storybook but it's a storybook set in a real location and it's just bizarre how they do some of it (laughs) because super mario world 2 yoshi's island is similar to super mario Three, where it looks all crafted and, and yeah. hand drawn. So I don't know what they were doing with it all. It's <laughs> I feel like they were just they're making up explanations for it now after the fact. <laughs> they just went, Yeah, we like that style. We're just gonna use that style from now on. Yeah, they probably just made a load of art assets and went, hmm, don't really fit with the Mario. Oh well we'll exp- no one will ask questions about it. We'll just build <laughs> some levels and then obviously everyone starts reading into it because as nerds we are pretty much programmed to do that we read into the subtext of literally everything um and then they've made a big thing about it but yeah we got bogged down there in in aesthetic super mario brothers 3 is it one your is it one of your favorite mario games it, it it's one of my favorites up until you get to the snes version uh so super mario world um yeah and that's probably because it's got a very distinctive art style now all the characters are very much that is Mario as he is now, just in 32-bit. Um, mm. That is a Toad. That is quite clearly a Goomba. So, yeah, I kind of like it more because of how the art style is developed and the characters are actually more fleshed out and they look like they do now. And it also introduced my favourite Mario enemy, which is the Chain Chomp. <laughs> Love me a Chain Chomp. I think I like Mario 3, but I'm more used to the All-Stars version. So where it's just a little bit more polished. It plays pretty much the same. The the controls are a little bit tighter, aren't they? But it's essentially the same game and they've just upped the graphics to to 16-bit. And and that's the bit, the version I'm more familiar with. But I think, I don't dislike Mario 3. I've enjoyed it when I've played it. But I think Mario World for me is, is the better one. And there's just yeah. more to it. I think 3 does a good job of balancing the power-ups. There's not too many. Some of the modern games, there's just too many power-ups that, that don't need to be in there, that don't really serve that much of a purpose. Whereas in 3, you've got the Fire Flower, you've got the Raccoon Suit. It's pretty much all you need. Yeah. They're like the the perfect two things. And then I never liked the cape. That's the only thing I don't like about Super Mario World over Super Mario 3. If the cape had have been the Raccoon Suit, then there would have been no contest. But the cape is just so awkward to use that floating yeah. mechanic i just even after years of practice i still don't get that whereas the raccoon suit you get your p meter full and that's it you're just up in the air aren't you you can fly for an insane amount of time so i always preferred that and apparently they bring in the p meter back for super mario wonder oh okay so people have noticed in the little trailer that mario will run in one style and then when he goes so fast he throws his arms back and like pushes his head forward so people are speculating that that's going to be like a P run, and then you'll be able to, with certain items, take off. Okay. So that'll be fun. It's the more I see about Wonder, the more I'm getting drawn towards it. I'm still not happy about Elephant Mario and COVID Mario and all the others, but <laughs> the more I see about it, the more I am interested to see how it turns out. Yeah, um, I will say this for Nintendo: they are they, they do recycle the same old tap. But they do like to put a fresh spin on beloved franchises and they try different things. They are not risk averse by any stretch of the imagination. They have taken some massive punts on 
beloved franchises such as Metroid, Zelda, and Mario, and some of it, a lot of it's paid off. There are some that are a bit, Ugh, but a lot of it does pay off. So I am, I am looking forward to Wonder. See, Wonder's giving me hope as well that we might get a. Uh, I was going to say a good Zelda game for the Switch. I know a lot of people think that the two that are already out are good Zelda games, but what I mean is we've had Odyssey and now we've got Wonder, so there is room for. Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom, and a Legend of Zelda 2D or 3D. I mean, I know we had the remake of um, the one that came out for Game Boy, but I'd I'd love another one in that style. They've got the assets there now. Yeah. They've got it all built, so they could easily make a new game in that style, and that, for me, would be great. So that's what I'm holding on to, the fact that we've got Wonder and it's different to Odyssey. Maybe we'll have two styles of Zelda on the same console as well that isn't a remake. Yeah, um... um... I'm with you on both Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. They are they are good games, and they are bold steps for Nintendo uh, with the Zelda franchise, but they are not my Zelda games. I, I've no, played exactly. them both to death, but we'll, we'll discuss it when we get on to Ocarina and A Link to the Past. They are quintessentially my Zelda games, the pair of them. Yeah. I'm probably showing my hand a bit early. Like but... <laughs> like you say, they're, they're good games, we're just not the target audience for them. No. I think they've got too much of a... I suppose it's an RPG element to it, and too much of a... Well, it's, it's the weapon degradation. I can't even pretend it's not. That's the one thing that stops me playing them games. It's It's appealing to modern sensibilities of gaming. Modern gaming has to be bigger, hence the open world, for some reason has to include crafting in it, and Zelda, Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom take that and just run with it. They have to involve towers of some sort. Thank you, Ubisoft, for Far Cry and your sodding towers and everything. Because now every game has to have a liberate the districts with a tower mechanic in it that reveals bits of the map. But yeah, it just seems to be trying to pull Zelda into a modern era that it doesn't need to be pulled into. Yeah, I mean, you look at Ocarina and Majora and they weren't like anything else. They were a completely fresh idea. I can't think of a game prior to them to compare them to. Not really. Whereas this, like you say, has cherry-picked elements from what makes a lot of modern games popular. And it's obviously worked, because it's it's appealed enough to Zelda fans that people like you and me will still buy it and play it. But it's also appealed enough to new fans of the... Well, potential new fans of the series that go, oh, that's like Assassin's Creed, or... Far Cry or whatever that I have to do that bit and this bit's like so and so and yeah I get this and for me that's not why I play a Zelda game but for them now it is so when they bring a new Zelda out and it's not like that it'll be interesting to see how those people react to it yeah especially if they take it back to formula yeah um, so if they do end up going back to formula because I mean Link's Awakening didn't sell amazingly well but it's still sold really well and that was a sort of a mcdonald's toy art style it was like something you got out of a happy meal it really was it was just it was really odd direction than direction for them to take but it suited it and i think if they remade if they wanted to remake a link to the past or the oracle games in that art style or even take you know a fresh canvas and do a new entry in the series it would still work in that art style 
Yeah, I think it had problems when it launched, didn't it? I don't know if that accounts for a lot of it. The frame rate was really bad on it, and I know they fixed a lot of that, but I don't think that helped sales initially, especially because it was a remake and they pushed it at 50 quid. I don't think that helped yeah. either. When a lot of people already had it or had already played it. Do you know what I mean? You've, you've got to account for that, I think, when you're doing a remake, and Nintendo just went, well, we've put loads of work into this, so 50 quid. Yeah. And we're not budging, and I still don't think you can get it much cheaper than that now. No, you can't. Because Nintendo just keep everything yeah. at, at the top price. But yeah, I think you're right. Especially Minish Cap. I think that art style would work perfectly for that. If yeah. they were to ever remake that game, I think that art style, it's halfway there already. It was just a bit more drawn, wasn't it, than 3D. So yeah, I think that could work out. But whether they actually will, I mean, that sounds like too much of a good idea for Nintendo. I probably won't go with it. Yeah, let's move on to... So we have actually done it in the order you wanted to do it. So there you go. 50th game. Get your party poppers out. We've uh, we've covered number 50 on the list. So we will move on to... Oh, go on. Eddie's got something there to say. There was one thing. There was one thing about Super Mario Brothers 3 that tickled me somewhat chronic. Super Mario, Super Mario Brothers 3 is also technically the first Doom. Because, bit of a stretch... But John Carmack, who was um, working for a PC company at the time, basically took the first level of Super Mario Bros. 3 and started building a game on PC for it because PCs couldn't actually handle the sort of self-scrolling games. They, they just couldn't handle it. And he created something called a Adaptive Tile Refresh process where it would where it allowed PCs to create that self-scrolling thing um, and he used a character instead of Mario he used a character that had been created by John Romero called Dangerous Dave um, and it was a similar sprite and it was the exact first Mario level in Mario 3 and it was Dangerous Dave's character running through it and they called the game something like Dangerous Dave and the copyright infringement or something like that so they knew what they were doing um and john romero saw it and was like oh my god this is amazing we've finally managed to nail down sort of parallax scrolling on pc and they started building the rest of the game using the nintendo assets and then they swapped dangerous dave out for mario and put him back into his own game and they were that flawed by what they'd managed to achieve they then sent it off to nintendo and went we fixed your problem we can get nintendo games on the onto pc now and nintendo being nintendo just went nah we're not bothered about cornering the pc market thank you very much (laughs) told them to back off and it and it was the meeting of those two minds that the was the origin for id software who, without who we wouldn't have Doom or anything like that. So Mario is officially the first Doom game at a stretch. Is that why DOS games prior to that, it was always you'd go off the edge of a screen and then it'd load yep. in the next screen? Right. Yeah, because okay. you couldn't parallax scroll. And I was like, oh, well, that is that is interesting. Oh, there you go. It was. I was worried there when you started doing your Columbo bit, wagging your finger <laughs> and giving it just one more thing. I was like, what's he coming out with here? But... It was worth it in the end, I'll let you off. There you go. So, let's let's have a quick look at Alex Kidd in Miracle World then. So, the reason we've decided to pair it with these two, definitely not because we didn't think we could get a full episode out of it. It was more because it came out the year after Super Mario Bros. 1. And in a lot of people's opinions at the time, it was better, in inverted commas again, I'm using the air quotes again, 
because it was a lot more vivid, a lot brighter. It did up and down levels as well as side to side levels. It had a lot more in it than than you sort of expected from a game of its time. And you could get vehicles and things from what I remember, couldn't you? You can get a little motorbike that you can a yeah. helicopter and you can get certain items like a staff that will let you fight back with enemies and you can get a mind reading necklace so because one of the things most people hate about that game is that a lot of the boss battles are rock paper scissors and it is pure luck as to whether you're going to win a boss battle or not but you can buy a little necklace that lets you read their mind so you know what they're going to pick so you can beat them so it even accounted for that really even though it was something they shouldn't have put in in the first place but yeah everyone seemed to think it was a, a really solid entry from sega and alex kidd was going to be their mascot when this came out so it came out from master system in uh, 1986 and everyone was was on the alex kid bandwagon as this is the the mario killer i suppose you'd look at it as we've got our own mascot who's got a really good platforming game and then it just didn't work for alex kid for whatever reason the other games didn't really move on and they're quite clunky and the controls aren't great and i mean even in the first one the controls aren't great but it's different and vibrant enough that you sort of forgive it like the the hitboxes for enemies are ridiculous and there's there's this thing in it which i didn't realize until i played the remake that came out in 2021 the item boxes cycle so if if on your first life you smash three item boxes on your second life you get whatever would be fourth in the the row of items and it loops back around and the last item is like a grim reaper that just kills you as soon as you oh. open the box and it chases you around the screen. So you have to know that you've hit three boxes and then essentially you can't hit any more unless you're confident you can outrun him to the end of the level. It's really weird how they've implemented that. Yeah. Because it stops you getting more items that you might need because there's health and things like that. But you know your fourth hit is going to be this thing that insta kills you. And I mean, most things insta kill you in that game anyway, I think. Um, you, yeah. you can get health power ups and stuff, but. Most stuff is one-hit kills. But yeah, it's it, it's a fun little game, and it came packed into the console of a lot of Master Systems and Master System 2s. So it wasn't even like you got the cartridge with it when you bought it. It was if you turn that machine on without a cartridge in it, Alex Kidd started up, which is like a really cool thing to do, because then you were never without a game. Even if you just bought a console, you always had at yeah. least one game with you, and I'm surprised they didn't do that on more consoles back then. I assume it was what and, memory limits in the console or something, but and especially since I th- I think that is a bigger seller, particularly in the modern f- financial climate and how it's been going for the last twenty years or so, predominantly downhill. But I think packaging, um, not necessarily like a packing game, because that always. They always deliberately artificially hike the price anyway, because it's like, oh, well, you get a free game with it. But to include it built in to the game, and I appreciate there there is a whole history of things getting put onto things that the general public have not been appreciative of you two. Um, <laughs> for example, on the iPod, when they were like, oh, we've given you our album for free, and everyone went, I don't fucking want it. So I can appreciate it. That album is still on my phone because I haven't taken the effort to delete it. And whenever we get in the car, if the Bluetooth connects to my phone and I don't have Spotify open, it starts playing that album. <laughs> so that album's get like, there's certain tracks on that album now that I don't mind because I've just heard them so much 
<laughs> Stockholm <And> I, syndrome. <laughs> yeah, I'd never listen to it normally, but if if we're only driving like ten minutes, I'm not. I can't be asked to get my phone out and put Spotify on. And if we're talking as well, I just let it play in the background. And I noticed the other day I was singing along to one. I was like, that's <laughs> 10 years in the making that. That's been just drilling into my head slowly but surely. And now I'm singing along to it and I don't like it. I might have to delete them off. But yeah, back to the uh, packing idea. I think you're right. I think I, I remember getting my Xbox One and it you could have the FIFA version or you could have... I think they were like three versions. They all came with a game. I don't think you could get it without a game. They were they were just the versions of it. But it didn't come installed. It was on a it was a little piece of paper where you keyed in the code and then it installed it. I was like, well, could you not have downloaded it and installed it on the console for me so that day one I'm not sat here for four hours, yeah, waiting for my insufferably slow internet to install this game that you've provided with the console. So yeah, they don't do it even now when it would be dead easy to just flash a game onto every hard drive before they put it into the the console. Yeah, and when you consider that not everyone can afford an internet connection, I appreciate we take it for granted massively. It's up there with breathable air and water these days as a modern necessity. You have to have an internet connection. But some families can't afford it, and I genuinely think, all right, games consoles are a bit of a luxury, and particularly Nintendo, who do sort of market at the cheaper end of the scale particularly because it does appeal to kids and families and stuff like that. If you're doing that, give them a free game. Give him, give them something that's already built in, that doesn't require an internet connection, that doesn't require them to fork out an extra 50, 60 quid. I mean, Jesus Christ, the amount of years we've been overpaying for games, consoles and video games, I think it's the least companies could do to just, you know what, touch of faith, there you go. Here, have a free game on us. And it just, I think it'd do wonders for the game industry. I really do. I think they half did it with the 3DS. You got um, some augmented reality games built in. Yeah. But I think that was more to show off what they could do than actually give you something free. Because they weren't very good. It wasn't like no. they'd given you a, a decent game to play. But yeah, that was something I always found really interesting about Alex Kidd. Like, if, if you got these certain master system versions you'd always got a game even if somebody broke in and robbed all your games you've still got one as long as they don't take the console uh, you've always got something to play so yeah i i appreciate it and i i remember going back god how old must i have been it was in like year two so how old are you in year two like four or five not very old at all eh? and i remember no. one of the lads he, he died recently bless him but he had a a master system. And I remember very vividly, even at the age of like four or five, one break, he was telling me about the first two levels of Alex Kid, And he was acting them out in the playground. And he's like, oh, and then you've got to come over here. And we like ran over to one side of the playground and you're swimming and you've got to avoid this octopus. And there's like a big octopus in there that moves its tentacle up and down. You have to swim over it. And he was telling me about that. And he's like, yeah. And then you punch through this brick and then there's a burger and that's like the end of the level. And I can still remember in my head, but how old am I now? 38. So yeah, 34 years ago, that conversation is ingrained in my head and I'd never seen it, but I could picture every single bit of that game from his description. Then when I actually played it, I was like, yeah, that's, oh, and there's the octopus. And it was just how I imagined it. And yeah, it was it was really surreal to have that experience with it. But yeah, I, I really do like Alex Kidd and it's not a good game objectively but it's a good memory for me especially that first one uh the the follow-ups are hit and miss very hit and miss 
There's a couple that aren't bad, I think. Because didn't they do like an Alex Kidd crossover with Shinobi or something? Yes. So there's a, yeah, they did. There's a few, and that one's not bad because it's basically a Shinobi game with Alex Kidd assets, so it works. But yeah, it's a very troubled franchise, and you can see the right move was to move on to Sonic because I'm not even sure what Alex Kidd is. Like, is, is he a he's boy? Suppo- is he like a monkey hybrid? He's supposed to be a martial artist. Yeah, he runs around in a white t-shirt and red dungarees. I'm assuming the red dungarees are a, a an, hom- an homage to Mario and his overalls. But mm. yeah, it's just... and He can't really punch very well. Is his hair meant to be like Bruce Lee, then? He's got... He's on the front cover of the game cartridge and the game box. He's like this young, blonde, blue-eyed kid in <laughs> yeah. like red dungarees and a white t-shirt. And I'm not being funny. If you look at the front box, uh, front cover of the box from the uh, Mega Drive, it looks like sorry, the Master System. It looks awful because it's got that hatch background, and it's just him. <laughs> to be fair, there's not a Master System game that looks good. If you look at the box, all the boxes are horrific. It, whoever they got in to design those boxes, I think they're the sole reason the Master System failed. Because they didn't make a single game look appealing with those boxes. Because none of them relate to what the game is. Like you just said, that isn't Alex Kid that's on the front of that box. And there's loads of other ones where what's on the box doesn't represent anything about what's in the game. I think there's a wrestling one or something where there's a guy with just a decapitated head on his hand. <laughs> just stood on the front of the box. It's nothing to do with the game whatsoever. It's terrible. But yeah, Alex Kidd, in the later games, he's got like a big afro or like a pompadour brown hairstyle isn't he and i think in one of them he's wearing the red all-in-one you know like the the bruce lee yeah gee or whatever it's called so yeah that makes sense but i always thought he was like part monkey or something because he's got because he's got like he looks a bit like the super monkey ball characters doesn't he he's not a yes. million miles yeah, away from them so i always thought he was meant to be a, a monkey with human features that was in this world because everything you fight in is an animal as well so it doesn't really make sense that there's just one boy in this world of full of animals as well so that's where i got that from probably and aren't aren't there like pterodactyls and stuff so it's like really bizarre flying pterodactyl enemies in what is tangentially supposed to be the real world (laughs) it's like can you pick a tone (laughs) i think you fight like pigs that are stood up on two legs when you play rock, paper, scissors and stuff like that. So God knows what they were going for. But yeah, I, I'd always pictured him as like a, a little monkey, anthropomorphic monkey that liked Kung Fu. So maybe he was, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to Google it. Hold on. What is Alex Kidd? And having, because I've got one of the uh, gameplay screenshots up on the screen, you can very heavily see its influence on Sonic. The design, yeah. the the colours uh, and how vibrant they are because the sky is like a a brilliant blue and then you've got the grass on top of the sort of brown mud um and you can you can directly see how this must have influenced sonic's level design if not the speedy side of things but definitely the overall color scheme and how vibrant it was see yeah in the newer games he does just look like a kid with massive ears but in the older games, he's got like hair all the way around his head down to his neck and these huge massive ears sticking out from underneath it. So that must have been what influenced me. But yeah, the, the front of the, the Master System box, it's just not even remotely close. Like you said, it's a little child in dungarees with blonde hair and blue eyes and like a, a growth in his fist. 
like a Popeye fist, just a yeah. huge punch. Um, and then, yeah, some of the things you fight in it, snakes, crabs, flames. One of the things you play noughts and crosses against is a giant hand with a face. So I don't think me thinking he was a monkey was that far out, to be fair. No. I mean, God, if you've seen the picture of him on the Genesis box, <laughs> I, I don't even know what that is. I mean, please bring it up now in front of you. I want to see your reaction to it. Alex Kidd in the Enchanted Castle. Oh my god! <laughs> yes! <laughs> what is that? <laughs> oh, good god, that is horrifying! It's like something out of a, you know, like a Goosebumps episode or something. I mean, yeah. and never mind the, the thing that's next to him on the floor with like six arms that looks like a toe. Don't know if you can see that on yours, but. <laughs> And I mean, I'm being I'm I'm being very PC saying it looks like a toe because I could easily say it looked like something else with six arms. Yeah, but it's oh, it's fair to say it was a bizarre <laughs> franchise. And Sonic was, I mean, Sonic is a blue hedgehog that goes fast with a fox with two tails and a bloke that got blown up with a rotten egg and turned into a villain. And that is far more grounded than anything in Alex Kidd. <laughs> oh, so I yeah, think they, they made the right call on that one. But let's get some scores in the book because we're at our usual point of we've gone over. So let's let's get some scores in. We might be able to sneak this in under an hour. Super Mario Brothers 1. I'll bring the list up, although it's sort of pointless because there's stuff on there that I haven't put in, as we discovered last week. But we can use it as a rough guide. I mean, I think Super Mario Brothers 1's got to be fairly high, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I'd, I'd say like high 80s. And it's it's not like when we scored Pac-Man and Tetris low because this was influential and it's still really fun to play. Yeah. So I'd I'd give it an eighty nine, I think. Yep, I think that is perfectly fair. Puts it one above Majora's Mask, which I do enjoy playing more, but it's not had the same impact, has it? I mean this no, it hasn't. we wouldn't be doing this podcast if Mario Brothers didn't exist. I think no, it's fair exactly. to say. So you've got to give that the points it deserves and and like i say i had a lot of fun playing it and i could still play it now so and and i still do from time to time because the amount of one one reproductions that are on super mario maker yeah i've, I've probably played that level a million times by now so let's do alex kid next get that out of the way i mean it's not influential it's not a particularly good game I don't have a lot of love for it but i also wouldn't score it low because as i say i got the remaster or the remake, or whatever it was recently, and I did play it start to finish and still enjoyed it. So mm. I'd be tempted to go around... We gave Manic Miner and Jet Set Willy a 60, and I think it deserves to probably go above that. Yeah, uh, I was thinking 60s, but I thought I, w- I was possibly being a bit harsh. But uh, it- it's not done anything with its franchise, really. No. What if we move Sensible World of Soccer down to 63 and give it 64? Yeah, fine. And then Super Mario Brothers 3, it's difficult because it's better than 1 to play it now, but I don't. it didn't do as much as 1 in terms of how influential it was. And I have more memories of 1 than I do 3. Yeah. But that's because I didn't have it. I know if you had it, you've probably got better memories of 3 than you have 1. But for me, 1 was the the thing that made me realise how much more games could be. Because up until that point, mm. I'd been playing, like I said, with Commodore 64, like dots and lines on a screen. <laughs> yeah. And then you play that and it's got the music and it's got the the decent graphics for the time and the controls, which were a bit slippery, but at the time you didn't know any better. No, 
so you just thought it controlled really well. I I think it would be unfair to put pitch it as high as Mario One. I genuinely do. I'd I'd probably push to like low end of the seventies, really, because I'd I'd definitely rate it over Alex Kidd. Um, but I don't think it's enough to push it into the same bracket as Mario One. Would you put it on par with Super Metroid? Yeah, actually, do you know what? I probably would. They are sort of equivocal, really, as well, because I'm pretty sure Super Metroid's the third entry in the Metroid series in terms of release, so it would make sense. Yeah, we'll stick it at 74 then with Metroid. Because it is a good game, but it's just... I think the one, the one two before it was more influential and the one immediately after it was better so it's sort of in that awkward spot of it's a good game but really it's not done anything special it's just a good game to play it's a fun game it improved on the first one but it it was by that point the gaming market's back on an upswing and it's got a lot to contend with i think if super mario brothers 3 had held out and came out on the snes as like a launch title then yeah, we'd be talking about it completely differently. But and don't get me wrong, it pushed the the NES to its limits. When you look at that compared to one, how much more they got out of the same console. But yeah, for me, it just wasn't as impactful as the first one. It, the first one will always be that iconic. The music, the graphics, the the new way of playing games, I suppose. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's fair what we've done there. I mean, they've got it a bit. Skew with they've got Super Mario Brothers at forty and Mario Brothers three at eleven, so they the retro game a lot rate it quite a bit higher. But it also said that Super Mario Brothers was twenty four in the previous list, so they've been okay. that right off down the list in favour of a load of other games that probably don't deserve to be up there. But yeah, I think we've we've done the right thing in terms of where we see it. I think I think if I remember rightly as well, while I was. Um... While I've been driving back and forth to work over the week, I've had some stuff on in the background of interesting facts to do with Mario, Mario um, Brothers 3. Um, and I think they actually mentioned the Retro Gamer magazine and they mentioned <laughs> the 100th issue, which is when they did the first poll. First and I th- Yeah, and 20% of the people that entered it put Super Mario Brothers 3 in their top 10. Which right. just goes to show how much people genuinely rate that game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's loads more we could have talked about today. Uh, we we've not considered the movies, which is sort of yeah. tied to tied to one to, to this time period, aren't they? Especially the first movie, which <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I like that film. I'll go out on a limb and say I like it because I watched it when I was a little kid, and it was quite <laughs> enjoyable to me. I didn't realise how weird and bizarre it actually was until I've watched it recently. But I'm sure we can do an episode at some point on Mario to expand this. I mean, we've got, spoilers, we've got two Mario Kart games to look at in the list. And there's not a lot you can say about Mario Kart games. No. Not compared to what you can say about regular Mario games. So we might hijack that one and talk a bit more about other Mario games that didn't make it on the list. Because... If we're talking about Kart, which is obviously the best spin-off, we can talk about golf, strikers, tennis, party, all the other million different things that they've done with Mario's name on it. God Typing knows what teacher. else. <laughs> yeah. Mar- Mario is missing. <laughs> Time machine. There's, I mean, there's thousands in the yeah. Paint, <laughs> Mario paint. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure that episode will probably end up being just a Mario-thon. And then we go, oh yeah, and there's a racing game that's pretty good as well. 
<laughs> so we'll deal with that when we get to it. All that's left for me to say in this episode, I think, is to thank our patrons once again. So we have got a new person in the couple of coins. So we'll give them the shout out this week. That's Harry Flynn. We've got in the Bucket Kickers tier, the Sweaty Llama and Dino Dini. And then in the Avatarnish tier, we've got Atropos 77. So thank you to all of you for helping keeping us running. We got our first payout the other day and it has gone immediately towards the hosting bill. So that was much appreciated. And yeah, if anyone wants to subscribe and get content early, we've got another bonus content episode that's going to be going on there very soon. I've just got to finish editing it. You can go to patreon.com slash bucketlistgamers and pick one of the tiers on there. Uh, anything bucket kickers and up will get you all the extra content early. Or you can go with a couple of coins tier and just help us out and potentially get a little shout out in the next episode. So, speaking of the next episode, we think we know what we're doing. We think we've got it booked in. But things are subject to change, as we've learned this week, because this was not the plan for this episode. So, we think the next episode... We will be looking at World of Warcraft, which is not a game Eddie or I are familiar with at all, and also not a game that we particularly want to get invested in, <laughs> lest it take over our life and ruin us financially. So we'll be we'll be bringing an expert on with us to talk about that game, and by expert I mean somebody who's played it as opposed to us who have never played it. So <laughs> fingers crossed we can get that lined up and that will be the next episode, but that is us for today so i will say that's goodbye from me and that's goodbye from me you don't want to do just one more thing no not just one more thing i'm good well there we go then goodbye